Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected the stories that are most entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek and Egyptian traditions. Our versions may not be the myth you're familiar with, but we hope you enjoy them. And be warned, today's episode contains violent content, disturbing imagery, and mature themes, including murder, sexual content, and infanticide. Please exercise caution for listeners under 13. The following is by early 1900s American poet Guy Wetmore Carroll. The light of suns unseen, through depths of sea descending, within her street awakes the ghost of noon, to bide its little hour and die unheeded, blending into her night that knows nor stars nor moon. The hurrying feet of storms that trample o'er the surges arouse no echo in these silent deeps. No thunder thrills her peace. No sword of lightning scourges the dim, dead calm where lost Atlantis sleeps. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today's episode centers on an ancient mystery that has fascinated people for millennia, the lost city of Atlantis. If legend is to be believed, Atlantis was a legendary advanced civilization that sank into the ocean due to a mysterious cataclysm. Over the centuries and into the modern day, many have tried to find proof of this once great society's existence. People have searched everywhere, from Scandinavia to the Caribbean, for the sunken city. But in truth, all we know of Atlantis comes from the writings of Plato, the ancient Greek philosopher. The civilization he described was old even to him, meaning its secrets may truly be lost to time. According to Plato, it was supposedly a wonderful place, one that had as much Egyptian influence as Greek. It was brought low by a descent into hubris, by the arrogance of a citizenry who forgot one important lesson, don't mess with the gods. Our story today will be told by the Mariner, a mysterious seafarer who knows the legend of Atlantis better than anyone. Coming up, we visit Atlantis before the fall. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight 
starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Long ago, in a time that was as ancient to the mighty Hercules as he is to us, there was a great war between the gods and the titans. In the aftermath of this war, the victorious gods divided the cosmos amongst themselves. Zeus ruled Olympus, the seat of the gods. His other brother, Hades, ruled the underworld. But his second brother, Poseidon, was granted Thera, an island unlike any other. Poseidon fell in love with the human maiden, Cleto. They married, and she gave birth to five sets of twins. Poseidon gave these children domain over Thera. The oldest, Atlas, ruled from the capital, and so it came to be known as the city of Atlantis. A unique mineral known as Orichalcum was soon discovered on the island. The demigods bent it to their will, constructing palaces that glimmered in the sun. These palaces straddled concentric circles of water, moats that ran through the island ensuring that the Atlanteans were never far from Poseidon's influence. All people were equal here. Women ruled alongside men. They did not cover their breasts, going about their lives bare-chested as the men did. With this equality came shared responsibility. All were expected to contribute to the well-being of the city. This meant the defense of the city as well. The Atlanteans trained in all manner of combat. Their bodies were always in peak physical condition. None dared attack them on their own soil. Save for one instance, when an army from the southern continent invaded. Atlantis's leader at the time, Khufu, defeated this army and followed them back to their homeland. He conquered their meager cities and erected great pyramids. A reminder of Atlantis's might, should these Egyptians ever think to invade again. The Atlanteans swore never to allow themselves to be invaded again. Over the millennia, they put down any nearby kingdom that showed signs of aggression. But they left their peaceful neighbors alone. Millennia passed and the Atlantean blood became diluted as they mixed with Egyptians and Greeks. The birth of twins became rare, so that when it did occur, the twins were thought to be touched by Poseidon's divinity. They were made leaders of Atlantis. One such pair, 
Bahadur and Husani came to power as young boys. After them, their parents gave birth to a young girl, Kisa. All three were beloved throughout the kingdom. They regularly walked out into the waves, receiving special counsel from Poseidon himself. He appeared to them as a great kraken, with the mouth of a whale and a crown of red sturgeons. Beloved children, I welcome you to the sea. Continue to guard Atlantis. Guide my people. Treat your bodies as temples. Treat one another as you would treat yourself. It is our highest pleasure to see that your will is obeyed, my lord. Kisa spoke first. She was always full of energy, never ceasing in her work to improve the lives of her people. Of course, my lord. Atlantis is great by your power alone. Next was Husani, one of the two twins, widely considered the most attractive man in Atlantis, with perfect tan skin, deep brown eyes, and a head full of flowing jet-black hair. By my power, it shall become even greater. Last was Bahadur, the second of the twins. He had come out after Husani, and so technically was the younger. Yet he had far more ambition than his brother. Not be tempted by wealth and power, young Bahadur. Poseidon returned to the ocean. The three siblings walked along the beach, past pillars of Orichalcum and statues made in their likeness. Past pyramids larger than those in Egypt, up the great steps of the central pyramid of Atlantis. When they reached the privacy of their throne room, Kisa burst out in anger. Bahadur! What possessed you to talk to Lord Poseidon in such a way? He only ever speaks of keeping things as they are. I have fought my entire life for this city, for this island, crushed any who would oppose us. I did not expend such energy so that we could rest on our laurels. Come now, brother. Poseidon only wants what is best for us. He is an old man who wishes for us to turn gray, having done nothing with our lives. If Lord Poseidon has commanded it, then you must obey! We have Olympian blood in our veins. It is our birthright to take what is ours, as Poseidon and his brothers once did. Brother! Sister! Let us not fight! We live in paradise. Can we not get along? Millennia have passed. The blood is diluted. We are just as human as any other mortal in Greece. Look around you! Atlantis is not Knossos or Athens. It is something far, far greater. Our oracalcum structures can be felled by no man. Our tools and weapons never deteriorate. The primates, reptiles, and birds that inhabit our jungles cannot be found anywhere else. Thera and Atlantis atop it are a paradise, and paradise cannot be home to mere mortals. Oh! The arrogance! That is what you think, older brother? But this place was prepared for us by the gods. It is divine. We are not. I will soon take Atlantis's armies across the sea. 
We will conquer the known world, creating an empire. An empire where your words will be considered blasphemy, Kisa. Bahadur, you shouldn't talk to your family that way. I merely seek to warn, out of concern. I would rule with you both by my side. This is already the case. It is not enough! That night, Kisa sat among her most trusted friends, warning them of Bahadur's intentions. If her brother had his way, they and their children would sail to distant lands and risk their lives for one man's glory. She looked with concern over at one of the moats where children played in the water. She stroked her pet blue monkey, feeling its warm, heaving chest beneath her palm. She watched her friends content at their work. They chiseled statues together, painted, wove thread into masterful patterns. I fear my brother is blinded by Atlantis's power. He cannot see the beauty. A wise man would know that. Above all else, beauty is fragile. Across the city, Husani was taking part in an orgy. His lovers contorted around him, a sea of pleasure and lust. Husani, however, found himself unable to focus. He shifted the young man, kissing him to one side, and padded out to his balcony. He filled the cup with mead, drank it down, then started to pour another. He looked back into his bedroom, all the beautiful bodies. To him, this was Atlantis, endless food and drink and sex. He was worried that Bahadur would ruin it all. But life here is grand. It saddens me to think my own twin could be so different. Life is to be lived. I have moved on from the bloodshed and death of battle. If only Bahadur could do the same. But no, he thinks of nothing but conquest, war. In yet another part of the city, deep within the steel forges of Atlantis, Bahadur was surrounded by his own close followers. They were dedicated warriors all, not concerned with the frivolity that so many other Atlanteans took part in. Crouched by the fire, they prepared fresh orichalcum weapons, a special pair of daggers. These blades were serrated at the edges, with small guards to protect the wielder's thumbs. As the metal cooled, one hulking, scarred man used a pair of tongs to lift the daggers, one at a time, onto a satin pillow. He carried the pillow across the forge to where Bahadur sat atop a mountain of armor. The soldier bowed, offering the daggers to Bahadur. Bahadur picked up the warm metal, admiring the fine artistry in the firelight. I gladly accept this offering from you, my loyal followers. With these instruments, I shall carve the Mediterranean in our image. Soon, Atlantis will be not just an island, but an empire. The following morning, the people of Atlantis gathered in their chamber of government, an amphitheater where every citizen had a seat. Bahadur entered with his men, provoking shocked murmurs from the crowd. They were armored for war, bristling with weapons. 
His sister rose from her chair at the center of the chamber. Bahadur, you didn't bring the military here! Calm yourself, sister. Our weapons shall remain sheathed. We would never bear them against family. I hope you do not intend to strong-arm your own people, Bahadur. Though they do not share your blood, all of Atlantis is your family. We are not here for anything so uncivilized as a coup. We are here to announce our intent to invade Greece. Our people do not want a war. You have no right. I am not conscripting anyone. I am taking loyal Atlantean soldiers of their own will into battle for the glory of us all. That's just it. You represent us all, whether you believe it or not. Your actions will have repercussions for every Atlantean. You are a child toying with human lives. Bahadur bristled at this. Husani, leaning back, pensive in his chair up until this point, finally spoke. We have been to war before, brother. It is not something I ever want to experience again. I am surprised that you do. Bahadur changed from petulant to pensive, taking on the same distant gaze as his brother. A look that all men who have experienced war will sometimes get as they relive horrors that civilians cannot even fathom. The moment passed. Bahadur's face hardened. Brother, I already lived those experiences over and over in my mind's eye. If I am to relive war every day, I might as well make war for the glory of Atlantis. Any true Atlantean who wishes to join us, you need only assemble at the docks. We depart for Nosos tomorrow. Many Atlanteans shouted after Bahadur and his men as they exited the chamber. But some rose from their seats and followed. Far too many for Kisa's liking. Husani gripped her hand, trying to comfort her. He'll be all right. It's not him I'm worried about. Think of Greece. They have no idea what's coming for them. Coming up, Bahadur's invasion begins. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the ParCast series, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Across the water from Thera, the home of Atlantis, there was another great island, Crete. Its capital, Knossos, was home to the Minoans, descendants of the legendary King Minos, father of the Minotaur. 
More recently, their people had intermingled with the Atlanteans. By the time of Bahadur and his siblings, just about every Atlantean had Minoan blood. This made them a prime target for Bahadur's campaign, the perfect vassal state for the Atlantean Empire. The Palace of Minos was renowned throughout Greece for its incredible architecture and resplendent frescoes. But this renown would be short-lived. The Atlanteans silently guided their ships into the harbor during the night, not springing the attack until they were as close as possible. The soldiers overwhelmed the harbor guard, slitting their throats from the shadows. Warriors of Atlantis, attack! Bahadur and his men set upon Knossos with the fury of the gods. Trebuchets on their ships hurled flaming stones into the palace while the warriors proceeded up the hill. Charge! Bahadur's men collided with a line of Minoan soldiers, blades meeting shields and flesh. Wielding the Orichalcum daggers his men forged for him, Bahadur weaved through the battle, killing more than any other. His movements were almost supernaturally fast, honed through years of training and experience. Die! Die by the power of Atlantis! He dove between legs, slashing tendons. He leapt to his feet, careening over heads and slashing throats. He'd faint, making his enemy think he was about to strike from one direction, then quickly attacked from another. When one blade was blocked, there was always the other, coming in for the kill. Before long, the bulk of the city guards lay dead in the streets. Search every nook and cranny. Look for treasure and hostages. As true Atlanteans, they showed restraint, only taking prisoners and leaving innocents unharmed. They were here to conquer, not destroy. Bahadur's main guard marched into the throne room, where the Minoan ruler sat, surrounded by his guard. King Jason was the latest descendant of Minos, not nearly as accomplished as his forebear. He pleaded for mercy, but Bahadur had none to offer. Knossos may be renowned throughout Greece, but Atlantis is renowned throughout the world. Your palace, what is left of it, now belongs to us. Your people are mine. This island is mine. May your ancestor Minos judge you fairly in the underworld. The Atlantean guard doused King Jason in oil, lighting him ablaze. They made his people watch as they threw his flaming body into the sea, an offering to Poseidon. The waves engulfed him, and the corpse sank to the bottom of the sea. His shade made its way to the realm of Hades. Back on Thera, Kisa and Husani received a summons from Poseidon. They traveled to the shore, where his cephalopodic form emerged from the depths. They waded out to greet him. Children, I see your brother is not with you. 
My lord, he is... out on patrol. He has taken his warriors and attacked Crete. I, of course, already know this. Zeus was most upset to see his patrons conquered by my own. We tried to stop him, my lord. But he and his warriors are free Atlanteans. They do as they please. It is no matter. Zeus will not start a war on Olympus over one island. He has many more, after all. Right. What's one island? Shut up, Husani! My lord Poseidon, I do not believe Bahadur intends to stop with just Crete. His aim is to conquer all of Greece. What? Kisa, why'd you say anything? He's a god, brother. He's going to find out eventually. Silence! You... You must go. Take the fleet. Stop him! You would have us war with our own? Impossible! If you do not... Then all of Atlantis could suffer. It is as I told him. You men are all fools. I will go myself. Kisa, wait! People of Argos, you have heard tales of our might. You know that your city will fall. Why not save lives? Open your gates and turn out your king, and this will all be over soon. Bahadur stood with his army on the plains of Argolis. Their ships docked in the bay not 60 miles south. They faced Argos, the latest target in Bahadur's conquest of Greece. After sweeping across Laconia and Kynoria, they were inching ever closer to Athens, the capital of the Greek world. Argos, hear me. I offer you mercy. Do not spurn my gift, or my response will be swift and without mercy. There was a commotion at the rear of the army. Bahadur turned to see flames erupt in the bay. Their ships were on fire. What treachery is this? The Atlantean fleet arrived on the horizon, sending flaming missiles into Bahadur's ships, sinking them. It was not long before the new fleet had landed, soldiers pouring out onto the beach. We have been betrayed by our own family. Leave the city, take to the battlefield, stop them! Atlanteans met Atlanteans, maces, Daggers, spears, and clubs crashed against shields. Arrows flew through the sky. War wheels, powerful horse-drawn chariots, crisscrossed the battlefield, cutting men in half. It was a slaughter. More Atlanteans died that day on the plains of Argolis than at any other time in the previous 7,000 years. 
but the worst was yet to come. As Bahadur cut through the battlefield, the throng of men suddenly parted. Smoke cleared, a beastly roar cut through the fog of battle. Bahadur's eyes widened with horror as he saw the six monstrous heads of Scylla, granddaughter of Poseidon. She had been beautiful once, a nymph. When she'd been scorned by a lover, she transformed into a murderous beast. Her tentacles writhed over the battlefield, crushing his men. Her six serpentine heads towered over all, snapping up men here and there. Upon her back rode none other than Kisa, Bahadur's sister. Her bow was at the ready, aimed directly at him. He dodged just in time, the first arrow missing his head by centimeters. He charged towards her, narrowly avoiding shot after shot. But no mortal could avoid every one of her arrows. One shaft found his right bicep. He snapped it off and continued forward. He did the same every time an arrow struck his limbs. He used his blades to keep any of the arrows from hitting his head or chest. As he drew close, the heads of Scylla came in range. He leapt atop the first one, flinging himself above rows of her gnashing shark's teeth. He stabbed both blades into the top of the head. The head reared back, lifting high into the air. Bahadur seized the moment, jumping toward the monster's back, where his sister awaited. Bahadur came down atop his sister, slashing at her with both blades. She rolled away, just in time, flinging aside her bow and drawing her kapesh, her curved sword. She threw herself at him, his daggers barely holding back the weight of the blade. Kisa, you have gone too far! Betraying your brother is a transgression I did not think you were capable of! You dare! It is you who have transgressed. Look at the beast below us. Poseidon's own granddaughter, I come with his blessing. You have displeased the gods. What do I care for the gods' disfavor? They always find some reason to bicker amongst one another. I can take whatever they throw at me. Such arrogance. You forget that you have only fought mortal men. You will bring Zeus's wrath down upon us all. No, sister. I will free us from it. Bahadur raced forward once more, trying to land a blow. Bahadur was deadly, but his sister was just as well-trained, though perhaps not as experienced in real battle. He watched her movements closely, saw how she was slow to protect her right side when recovering from a faint. He saw an opening. He attacked plunging his right dagger toward her left abdomen. She brought her kapesh down, blocking the strike, but he continued forward, driving his left dagger into her right side. She crumpled. As she fell, the beast beneath them both surged and roared. Scylla could not stand to see a fellow sister treated thus. She turned and fled into the ocean. Brother and sister fell onto the sand, blood spreading between them. The battle quieted as all turned to see Bahadur and Kisa on the ground. 
After a moment, one of them stirred. It was Bahadur. He moved to his sister's side, turning her over. <coughs> we were... We were fine. We were happy. Perhaps that was the problem, dear sister. We had everything we could have wished for. The only thing worse than an unfulfilled dream is a realized one. Bahadur cradled her in his arms. Soon she took her last breath, her shade slipping away from the realm of the living. Bahadur stood up, facing the remaining forces. Atlanteans, we have come this far. My power has overwhelmed my sister and the blessing of Poseidon that she brought with her. Know now that I am your destiny. Together, we will conquer the world! He lifted his blade, and the others quickly followed. They turned their attention back to Argos. Soon the city would fall, and after that, they would be on their way to Athens. Up next, Bahadur experiences the true wrath of the gods. Now, back to the story. The Battle of Argos was a stinging defeat. The Greeks lost their independence and their king to Prince Bahadur of Atlantis. But in truth, it was more a defeat for the Atlanteans though they did not yet know it. Yes, they had lost their princess, the wise Kisa, at the hands of her traitorous brother. But they would soon lose much, much more. For at that moment, in another realm, one outside of space and time, a different pair of siblings were having a showdown of their own. Brother, do not judge my people on the actions of one man. If one can do such harm, then these people of yours are a threat. No, I can do more. There is a brother, a twin. Allow me to send him against the usurper. He will not fail. Crete was no great loss, but Athens, it belongs to my beloved daughter. I will not allow it to be touched. It will not come to that. It had better not, for if it does, Atlantis will be but a memory and you'll see to it, or face the consequences. It was not long before the gods' command reached the shores of Atlantis. Husani awoke from his ecstasy at the hands of his lovers to news of his sister's death. He wandered the halls of the palace in grief. It was not just Kisa he mourned, it was Bahadur as well. For the only course left to him was to put an end to his twin brother. Hear me, Olympus. We Atlanteans are the mightiest mortals on this earth, but we exist at your leisure. I remember my sister's words and that of my lord Poseidon. 
Bahadur can no longer be suffered to live for what he has done. I go now to take his life as a sacrifice to you. Have mercy on us all. His words were met with approval on Olympus. As he spoke, the heavens opened and several gifts appeared at his side. There was Aegis, Zeus's shield that he only granted to the most worthy of heroes. There was Poseidon's trident, the weapon with which he shaped the earth, creating earthquakes and causing springs to erupt from the ground. Finally, there was the helm of Hades, which the god of the underworld wore to conceal himself from his enemies. I am unworthy of such divine gifts. I understand that they are to be used not for my own glory, but that of the gods. When I am finished, may the gods take me, and these treasures which rightfully belong to them. You speak wisely. Go now. Kill your brother. Stop him at all costs. Usani donned the helmet. He had his followers strap him into his chestplate, bracers, and greaves. He took up Aegis and the trident. Then he and his men took to the sea. With most of the army now under Bahadur's command, Husani had but one ship. They would slip among Bahadur's ranks. Husani, cloaked in the invisibility of Hades, would find his way to his brother. Then he would do what needed to be done. Bahadur watched from his command tent on a high hill, overlooking his armies surrounding Athens. This was the best defended city in Greece, with one of the best trained armies. It would be his greatest challenge yet, but if Athens fell, then the rest of Greece would follow. First Athens, then the world, and then <laughs> perhaps Olympus itself. Not if I have anything to say about it, brother. Bahadur turned from his view to see Husani appear before his eyes. Bahadur's eyes took in the helmet, shield, and trident of the gods. Impossible! The gods hate me so much that they gave you their most prized possessions? It is a temporary gift, mine only for as long as it takes to send you to the underworld. That will not happen today. I will take these gifts from you and use them to conquer Olympus itself. I see your delusions only grow. You should be by my side. Twins of Atlantis, taking their birthright. Any chance of that happening died with our sister. She forced my hand. She attacked me. You could have surrendered. You could have given up this foolish dream. No, it is too late for that as well. Indeed. Shall we begin? Bahadur produced his daggers from his sleeves. Of course. The two brothers clashed, the force of the first blow sending the tent hurtling over the cliff and into the ocean. The soldiers in the surrounding camp turned in to see the brilliant rays of Husani's weapons cutting through the night. Immediately, Bahadur felt he was in trouble. The trident made his orichalcum daggers tremble like nothing ever had. 
Husani didn't even need to strike Bahadur. Husani stepped back, swinging the trident in a low arc toward the ground. The three prongs struck the earth, sending tendrils of water through the rocks beneath Bahadur's feet. He rolled to the side, just as a geyser exploded where he once stood. As Bahadur rolled away, he flung one of his daggers toward Husani's head. Husani spun the trident, deflecting the blade just in time. Bahadur was already on him, plunging the other dagger down towards his brother's face. But Husani anticipated this, raising Aegis to block the blow. Bahadur's dagger shattered, sending razor-sharp orc halcom shards through his hand. He fell onto his back, defenseless. Husani advanced on him, trident poised. I didn't want to do this, brother. It brings me no joy. I will join you in the underworld soon after you arrive. So I have promised the gods. Husani lifted his trident, letting out a pained battle cry. But Bahadur had not given up. It was not in his nature. His hands groped about, desperately searching for a weapon. He found only a shard from his dagger. But it would be enough. Better, in fact. Before, when he had thrown the first dagger, it was big enough for Husani to intercept. But this tiny sliver was impossible to block with the trident. Bahadur sent the sliver of metal flying past the trident, through the slits in the helmet, and into Husani's eye. The metal kept traveling, entering his brain and putting an end to this champion of the gods. Husani let out a small grunt as his body gave out and slumped to the ground. I wish there had been another way, brother. Bahadur rose to his feet, advancing on his brother's corpse. He slipped the helmet from Husani's head, placing it on his own. He smiled in wonder as he briefly faded in and out of sight. Overjoyed, he reached down, taking the shield and trident in his hands. <laughs> the gods sought to stop me, but instead they have made me truly invincible. Foolish boy. A thundering voice came from beneath the waves. It was Poseidon. You are the fool, old man. I am greater than any god. Just wait. I will soon come to Olympus and show you all. You will not get the chance, imp. Zeus's voice joined his brothers from the heavens. Poseidon, do it. Do it now. As you wish. A huge wave erupted out of the ocean. It came crashing down onto the shores of Athens, rushing through Bahadur's men. He watched from the cliff above as they drowned against the walls they had sought to besiege. No! No! He lifted the trident, trying to use its power to control the sea. But he didn't know how. Nothing happened 
it might as well have been a stick in his hands. For what you have done, Zeus will let me spare no man. You are cowards! Come and fight me yourselves! Bahadur watched in horror as the waves left Athens unscathed, retreating back into the sea. But the roiling ocean did not remain calm. Across the bay, on the horizon, he could see the spires of Atlantis, the massive island of Thera that his people called home. The waves were heading right for it. You wouldn't! Atlantis is Poseidon's domain! No more shall the people of Atlantis threaten Olympus. On the island, the Atlanteans watched in horror as the canals beneath their cities overflowed. They clambered up the sides of their Orichalcum palaces, trying to escape the sudden onset of water. The wrath of the gods was too much. The ocean was swallowing the very ground their civilization was built upon. It did not matter how strong the Orichalcum was. It no longer had an island to support it. The Great Pyramid of Kings crumbled. Statues of the siblings splintered and washed away. The painters, sculptors, architects, and builders who had created this beauty were washed away too. Men, women, and children. As the kingdom collapsed into the sea, the waves spread through the jungles. The rare birds, the reptiles, the primates all tried to escape the water. But they fared no better than the humans. Soon there was nothing left of what had been the greatest civilization on Earth. Beneath the waves, chunks of pyramid, works of art, Bodies of man and animal alike mingled together, slowly sinking to the bottom of the sea. Bahadur watched from the cliffs of Athens, finally brought low by the power of the gods. He dropped to his knees, letting go of the trident and shield. He removed the helmet. I have doomed my people. I killed my sister and brother. I killed everyone. Take me as well. Do you hear me, Poseidon? Take me to the realm of your brother to be with my people. He leapt from the cliff, throwing himself into the waves. Poseidon gladly took him, the last of his mortal children. Everyone knows the story of Atlantis, the city lost beneath the waves. But unfortunately, any historical or even mythological basis for it has been greatly exaggerated. When Plato first wrote about the city sometime around 360 BCE, it wasn't long before people started to imagine this magical civilization, trying to place it in the real world. Those who knew Plato and his works understood that the story of Atlantis was an allegory, a criticism of the decadence and materialism he saw developing in Athens. But some readers in the ancient world didn't understand this and furthered the legend of the lost city. 
By the time the story was rediscovered, the allegorical city had become solid as stone. In the late 19th century, there was a wave of renewed interest in antiquity among Western elites. As a result, many ancient myths enjoyed newfound popularity. Spiritualism and general pseudoscience surrounding ancient cultures inspired new versions of old legends. In the case of Atlantis, there were several works that claimed the city was real and that its remains could still be found beneath the waves. But, of course, any civilization of the size described in Plato's original story would have been found by now. In fact, it would have been hard to miss. Plato describes an island so large that it would give Australia a run for its money. The reason for the myth's persistence is obvious. It's only human to wish there were more mysteries left in the world, entire civilizations left undiscovered. While it is true that much of the ocean's floor remains unmapped, as we said, a civilization as big as Atlantis simply would have left more of a trace. In searching for the literal Atlantis, we might miss the purpose of Plato's original allegory. Attachment to a decadent lifestyle can lead to arrogance, a feeling of indestructibility. But we're only human. No one's indestructible. And... No one lives forever. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back Tuesday with another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythology was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Robert Teamstra, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Joe Hernandez, Kai Jordan, Julian Smith, Rebecca Thomas, and Charlie Wess. I'm Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>